document that's happening uh, as we go through it. Because there's a gap between the different um, sessions we've done in Nehemiah, I just want a quick recap. In chapter one, we found that um, the Jews had been exiled to Babylonia or Persia, and they were gradually returning to Jerusalem. And during this chapter, we read how Nehemiah heard from his brother that the state of Jerusalem was not good. The walls were still in ruins, and the people were a bit dejected. And it caused him to uh, be concerned about them. It caused him to weep. It caused him to pray for them. It caused him to wait on God, to be patient. And that's what he did. And then in chapter 2, we find that he examined the situation. He went around the walls of Jerusalem to see what the state was, to see exactly what work was required to be done. And he involved other people in the work. And he reminded them that they needed to trust in God for this work to be done. And that's very briefly where we are. And at the end of chapter 2, we read that the people reply to Nehemiah, let us start rebuilding so they began this good work. And that's what we're going to move on to in chapter 3. I won't read the whole of the chapter because it is sort of quite repetitive in terms of the building of the wall. But I want to pick out just uh, some verses. Verses 1 and 2 talks about uh, the sheep gate. It says, Eliashub, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. And if you go down to verse 14, it talks about the valley gate, sorry, the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malkijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. And the next verse talks about the fountain gate. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalom, son of Kolhazor, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He re rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden, as far as the steps going down from the city of David. So why was it that Jerusalem was so important to Nehemiah? What was the significance? Well, if you look in the Bible, and particularly in the Psalms, you find that Jerusalem was a very important place. It was a, described as a city of holiness, a city of refuge, God's dwelling place. Psalm 48, it talks about it was in a beautiful for situation. And in Psalm 87, it talks about the glorious things that are said of the city. In chapter 6 of Nehemiah, we're told that the enemies of the Jews, they were scared when they saw what was happening in, in Jerusalem. So it was an important place, and it was an important place in the heart of Nehemiah, but not just the place as John was praying, it was also the people as they were returning to, uh, to Jerusalem from exile. He was concerned for them. Because as he now knew, Nehemiah, sorry, Jerusalem sat in ruins. 
It was a place that should display God's glory. It should display the salvation that comes through God. And it should display the beauty of the Lord. And when he saw it, he wept. He wept because he was sad at what had happened. Now, that, I think that's a picture for us today. What is it saying to us today? What does it say to us about us as the people of God? Well, if they were excited about returning to Jerusalem, if they were excited about rebuilding the wall, how much more excited should we be when we think of what we have been brought into? I want to read three passages which are well known to us, but I think it's good to look them up because um, they just remind us of what God has done and what we are as his people. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4, it says... For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we through many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. <coughs> so this one talks about us being the body of Christ. That's what we're being formed into. If we look now at Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 19. Ephesians 2 verse 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in, in him you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we're the temple, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and we're built up with the Lord Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And finally, in First Peter, one of my favorite verses is this, where it talks about, Peter talks about the chosen people. Chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, But you, that's us, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are a community of people that God has called together. Andrew was talking last week about the church, the church globally, but also the church locally. And whilst we can't really do much about what happens in the church globally or even the church in this country or even the church in this city, we can think about what we can do as a church locally. We are a company of God's people, specially chosen by God. And we should be, as those people, in this place, bringing glory to God in everything that we do. We should be a place that is safe and secure to come into. I don't mean just physically, but spiritually as well. We should be a witness to those around us. It talks in Matthew about a town being set on a hill, and it shines out. It says, don't hide your light under a bushel. It's shining out to those around, and we should be that light in this place shining out to those 
around us. We should be an attractive place to come to, that we will reflect Jesus to those who come in. I think that's a tremendous image of what God is doing with his people, that he has called us to be here to the glory of God, that we should be a witness, that we should be secure in this place, and that we should be attractive to those who come in, that no one should come in and not feel at home. And that's a tremendous challenge to us because when we think about the church in this country or locally, I would suspect a lot of us can have memories of relationships within churches that have broken down. People that have fallen out with each other and churches have divided. Things have happened in churches which have caused people to not to come along, to stop coming. There's all sorts of examples that we can give locally or within places that we know. And we also see what's happened to the church nationally, some of the statements that we made, and they make us feel uncomfortable. So there's a lot going on that we don't necessarily agree with, which is not a good sign, and that is sad. And I think God is saying to us, I don't want you to be like that. That's not how you should be. You should be that bright light shining out. You should be an example to others. We can't do, as I say, much about what happens nationally. We can't do much about what the Church of England announces. But we can reflect on what we do locally. So like Nehemiah, we need to examine ourselves. He examined the wall and said, well, what, what is the situation? Of Jerusalem, what do I need to do? What's the work that's required to be done? And we need to look at ourselves and say, are there things that we should do better? Things that are wrong? And he wept over that. And that should cause us to weep. You know, sometimes we get into a comfort zone of accepting situations as they are, because that's the way we've always been. And God wants us to come out of that comfort zone and think about what is it that we're here for? What has he called us to? And as we weep, we pray. Nehemiah prayed for a long time before he got an answer. And he prayed, and while he was praying, he was planning. He was planning to rebuild the walls. He had a very simple objective. It was to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And if you read this in this chapter, you'll find that three, six times it refers to rebuilding. So he had the, the um, material there. This was not material that he had to find. It was material that had broken down. It was rubble. And he had to take that material and build a wall again. And I think that's quite important because he wasn't having to find new material he was taking what already existed. And sometimes in our lives, as an individual and as a church, there are things that we have perhaps dismissed from the past, we've forgotten about, we've got it out of the way of looking at, and it's become rubble. And God is saying to us, look in that rubble and find those things which are important, things that you've been taught in the past, things which are fundamental to our Christian living. Find them and rebuild those walls in your life. 
It also talks in, in uh, this chapter about repairing. I think it's about 35 times the word repairing is used. Now, the walls were, the, the content of the wall was there, they were in rubble, but some of the gates had been burnt and they had to be replaced, they had to be repaired. And there are things often in a church's life that need to be repaired. It might be attitudes, it might be relationships. How, I've mentioned already how sad it is when families fall out, when people fall out, and it causes people to go in different directions. That is not what God intended. And we need to examine ourselves and repair some of those situations. Now, let me be quite clear. I think Bencham is a wonderful place, right? I'm not, I'm not being too critical of it, but we cannot be complacent. I think there's a lot going on here which is um, encouraging and helpful and to God's glory. But we still must reflect and examine ourselves and say, are there things that God is saying to us we should be doing different? Are there attitudes that are wrong? Are there relationships which are not perfect? This should be a place that we're proud of, and I believe we are proud of. It should be a place that we can talk to other people about and not be ashamed of. It's exciting to be a part of this plan that God has for his people to be living here for God's glory, to shine out to those around us, to be a witness. That is, you know, to be part of that, if we, you know, if we had nothing else but just to do that, how great for us to be a part of that work that God has for us. And that work will include witnessing and a special secure place for us as well. When Nehemiah used people, and this chapter tells us all about those people, and it breaks down, if you like, into leaders and those who were working alongside the leaders. And just to pick up on the leaders, there's a few things that perhaps help us. And again, we're thankful here for the leaders that we do have. But again, it's, it's good for us to examine ourselves. And the first thing to point out is, in this whole chapter, Nehemiah is not mentioned. He is not taking a front role. He is not pushing himself forward. All the glory is going to God, and he's recognizing the work that all the people are doing in, the, in building the wall. And he acknowledges that with all the names that are listed. So the hum, there's a humility about Nehemiah. There's also a motivational side Many of these people who are returning to Jerusalem have been returning over about 90 years. So they've been living in this place for a long time with the walls broken down. And they, as I said earlier, often we can become used to something. If you go to a place for the first time, you spot things that people who've been going for a long time don't recognize because they've got used to it. You spot maybe a color or, or the way the things are set up. It could be anything very simple. But we get used to it. It can happen in our own homes as well. We get used to what things are. It's only when someone walks in that they notice things that could be different. And it was the same, I think, with these people. They got used to the lives they were living amongst this rubble in, Jer in Jerusalem. And it took Nehemiah to come along and have that vision 
for the rebuilding of the wall. And when he had the vision, they all responded with enthusiasm. They all wanted to be involved in the rebuilding, but it took someone just to come along and say, <clears throat> say this is where I want you to go, this is what I want you to do. And our leaders, that's one of the roles I believe they have, is to come up with a plan um, and to pray about it. And as, as I said, when we were talking about the, the planning, that the prayer is so important that we don't think that the plan that we make is going to necessarily happen because God might change that plan. But we need to plan. We need to be thinking ahead. And so what is needed as we look into a new year? What is needed for this next year? What is needed for us to achieve that place that brings glory to God and is a witness to those around us? And we need people to motivate us to do that. And I believe leaders also have a huge responsibility to encourage one another in the spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are given to each one of us. We may know our gift, we may not. If we don't, it's something we should be thinking about, we should be asking God about, we should ask one another about, because we're told we have spiritual gifts. And it's only when all the spiritual gifts are working together that we have the healthy body, the body of Christ. And I think the leaders have a responsibility in that respect to encourage those gifts to be used so that we have the healthy body. Then we have the rest of us, if I can put it that way. Um, and we're all different. You know, one of the things I like about Benjamin is that we are all different. We've got people from different nationalities. We have people from India, from Honduras, from Iran, from Zimbabwe, from Nigeria, from some from England. I mean, we, we can't get it all right, but some from Scotland and some from Northern Ireland. We're lacking in Wales. I don't know what's happened. Nobody has come from Wales to be with us. But we have such a, an array of people from different countries, and that brings different cultures. It brings challenges, let's be honest, because we're all different. But I think that's a tremendous thing, to have these different people working together. Not only are we from different places, but we've got different backgrounds. Some of us are brought up in, in a certain church, some are brought up in a different type of church, some are not brought up in church at all. And we're all now meeting together as part of God's chosen people. Some of us are poor, some are rich, some are men, some are women. All different. And it was no different with Nehemiah. They were all there, every single one of them. It tells us that they came from Jericho to help. They came from different parts of the country to help. And we have that ourselves. We have that mix of people. And that's so important that we get on well together. But I think it's also so important to learn from one another. And the workers here, you know, they says at the beginning, the high priests went to work to build, to rebuild the sheep gate. Tells us later on, a goldsmith, he gets down to tackling a work. The perfume maker, we haven't got any goldsmiths, perfume makers here, don't think, but you get the point. It doesn't matter what their background was. They were being used in the work that God had given them to do. And when we talk about spiritual gifts, we have to be careful that our natural talent doesn't overrule our spiritual gift. 
because sometimes we'll say, well, I can't do that because it's not something I'm good at. In the Bible, God very often takes people who have not got a natural talent at something and gets them to do something through a spiritual gift that he gives them. That happens more often than not throughout the Bible. And we need to be aware of that ourselves, that as we're looking at the jobs that need to be done around the church, that we don't look at it with our natural eye, but look at it with a spiritual eye. What has God given to me to do? Because there's nothing more amazing than watch somebody do something who's not naturally talented at that, but knowing that God is working through them. And it's the Spirit of God working in their lives. And God can do that for each one of us. And we should know our place within the wall. We need to cooperate with each other. And again, I'm, I, I believe we do. I really believe in Bench and we have a wonderful situation where we do cooperate with each other. But let's, again, remind ourselves of the need of cooperation. And the, and the need to also have that single purpose before us, that we all know what it is that God wants us to do as his people here. So we're not pulling in different directions, but he's pulling us together that we might be his people, bringing glory to him and witnessing to those around us. It tells us that the Tekoites, in verse, I'm not sure which verse it's in, yes, it's verse 5. It tells you there, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervision. It's the only example we get of people who are not prepared to do the work. And not much is said about that. And can I just say that, I'm encouraged by that, because in any group of people you'll get those who, perhaps for whatever reason, find it difficult to, to join in the work that's been done. It can be all sorts of reasons. And we should encourage them, but it shouldn't distract us from the work we're trying to do. Because often we can get so taken up with, why, why is so-and-so not getting involved? Why don't they come to this? And it... it it actually can affect what we're doing for the Lord by being distracted. And Nehemiah, he doesn't get distracted here. He just makes the point that these people didn't want to get involved. And I don't think we need to say any more about that other than be aware that sometimes that can happen within the local church as well. I think we need to encourage each other as we're thinking about the body of Christ we have to recognize that each part of the body depends on the other parts of the body. One part of the body cannot exist on its own. And therefore, as we're working together, let's remember that, that we can cooperate but also encourage one another. I think encouragement is a tremendous gift. If you've got the gift of encouragement, please use it because it's something which helps us all. Because we all suffer we prayed about it tonight. We go through difficult times. We can suffer physically or spiritually. And encouragement is so important. So encouraging one another. And getting involved in working in different areas. You know, God doesn't expect us all to be doing the same thing. That's why I don't go to the kitchen, because it's, it's so busy. I feel it's better to leave other people who are there first to do the washing up. He doesn't expect me to do that as well. I'm joking. I just don't like doing it. <laughs> but you know, there's so much work to be done. 
And when we read this passage, there are those who work very close to their home. There are those amongst us who are not necessarily naturally outgoing. And working close to their home might be what they're most comfortable with. There are others who want to be involved and moving outside their comfort zone. I mentioned spiritual gifts again because I think it's so important that we remind ourselves that it's not our natural talent. If we're getting outside our comfort zone, we'll only be doing it if God asks us to and he will give us the power to do it. So let's find our place in the one body, working together, reflecting Jesus to those who come in, those around us, and that we might become that church which is a real representation of God in this community. That is so much what we need, isn't it? That is our purpose. That's what Nehemiah is. He has a single purpose, and that should be what our purpose is, to reflect God's glory, to bring glory to God in everything we do, just finish by picking out some of the gates that we read about at the beginning, the four we read about. The sheep gate was the gate closest to the temple. And that would be where the animals were brought in for various reasons, but one of them would be for sacrifice. And it would remind us, doesn't it, of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. That he is central to everything that we do. Without him we wouldn't be meeting together we'd be a social club. But with him, we're a living body. And we're part of his body. And it's only because of his sacrifice. And that sacrifice that he made for us is one that we want to share with those around us. Now again, I believe, as a church here, we, we do good at evangelism. We see how many turned up on Sunday. But let's not be complacent. There may be other things we can do but we're encouraged by the things we are doing. When you read down this passage, you'll see that at the different gates, you look at the fish gate, they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Bolts and bars. The Jishana gate, they laid its beams and put its doors with bolts and bars in place. The sheep gate had no bolts and bars. It's the only one that's mentioned. Because salvation is for everyone. The door is open. We cannot close the door on anybody. We want everybody to come in. So our evangelism is from the heart. Then we look at the dung gate. It says the dung gate was repaired, repaired by Malkijah, son of Rechab. The dung gate was a gate that they took the rubbish from the city out of that gate and laid it outside the city. So the city was clean. And we need to examine ourselves constantly. Are there things in our lives which need to be cleansed, that need to be taken outside, need to be removed because they're hindering the work that God is doing? In verse 15, it talks about the fountain gate. And later on, it talks about the water gate. Two types of water. The fountain gate was water for drinking and that speaks to us in the Bible often of the Holy Spirit and reminding us that each one of us is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and works in us and we're full of the Holy Spirit 
We don't have to ask for the Holy Spirit to come. We receive the Holy Spirit on conversion. He lives in us, and that binds us together, doesn't it, as one people, all indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the temple of God. And we can drink from that freely. The Watergate talks about the cleansing through the Word of God and how important it is that the Word of God is constantly preached from. And again, I believe we do that well in this place. But again, let's not be complacent. Are there things we can do better, if you know what I mean? Are there things we can do differently so that everybody within the fellowship is receiving the help they need so that they can grow? Are all the people in the fellowship exercising their gifts? Have they been allowed to exercise their spiritual gifts? Just finish by looking at Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's pick out some verses there. This is a little bit later on. Talk about the word of God. It says, When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. The water gate did not need to be repaired because there's nothing we can do to add to the word of God. It is there, complete. The important thing is for us to constantly use it as a means of cleansing, as a means of teaching, means of encouragement. Verse 6 says, Ezra opened the book, all the people could see him because he was standing above them. As he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. If we go down to verse 10, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing. This day is holy to our Lord. Our Lord, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Were you brought up in a church where it was frowned upon to smile in church? Yeah, I was. It's that's why I make up for it now. It does happen, doesn't it? And yet we're told to have the joy of the Lord. I'm not talking about frivolous laughter. I'm talking about having the joy of the Lord and be happy as His people. And then going to verse 17, the whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. The Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. The joy of the Lord. And that's the image I have of what I believe God has for his local church. To be that church which is living to the glory of God, that all that we do brings glory to his name. There's a church that's set up on a hill so that all around can see the light shining. It's attractive to people. It's a witness to those around us. It's a place of safety for us to come and to share with one another. 
And it's a place where we can rejoice. We can be happy together because of what the Lord has done. What tremendous privilege we have to be a part of that and to be a part of the work that he wants to do within his church. I thought we might sing a song together. But it might be one that Pam has to sing her own because you might not know it. It's 301. I hope someone else knows it. And I just think it reflects something of what we've been thinking about. It says, an army of ordinary people. Well, we are, aren't we? We're ordinary people. A kingdom where love is the key. A city, a light to the nations, heirs to the promise are we. A people whose life is in Jesus. A nation together we stand. Only through grace are we worthy. Inheritors of the land. Do we know it? We'll try it. An army of ordinary people, a kingdom where love is the key, a city alike to the nations, heirs to the promise are we, a people whose life is in Jesus, a nation together we stand, only through grace are we worthy, inheritors of the land. A new day is dawning, a new age to come, when the children of promise shall flow together as one, a truth long neglected, but the time has now come, when the children of promise shall flow together as one. Verse 2 doesn't exist tonight. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we just thank you for the wonderful image we have of the work that you're doing in your people. We thank you that you've called us, you've chosen us. You were your special possession, and that is beyond our imagination, but we thank you for it. You've brought us into this place here where you use us as your local people, and we just pray that you'd help us to be honoring to you to be pleasing to you, to do the work that you have given us to do and do it wholeheartedly, that you will be glorified through what we are doing. And we do pray that people will be drawn in as well. We pray that, we again thank you for those who came in last Sunday, many people over this year who have come in. We do pray that you would work in their lives and that they would turn to you for salvation. And we just ask for your help in getting along together, as the body of Christ, help us to identify and use our gifts to your glory, we pray. We thank you for each person that meets in this place. We thank you for your love and the love that we have for one another. And we just want to commit ourselves to you now in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. That's the tune I was trying to get. <laughs>